take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. We're going to look this morning again at, at a message that I've entitled, Don't Be a Taker. And, and, and this time of the year, just kind of focusing on uh, our management, our stewardship of the things that God has given us, how we are involved in those issues. And, and, and the reality really comes down to, am I going to do stewardship God's way? Or am I going to do stewardship my way? Am I going to understand that everything that I have, the very fact that I got up this morning, is a truth that, that God has given me another day? Now, the Bible says it is appointed once for man to die, and after that, the judgment, that, that every single one of us has an appointment date. And, and that appointment is, is based upon the fact that life, is, is something that God has given us. And I am to be a steward, a manager of every bit of that. And a lot of times we, uh, we want to limit stewardship just to the issue of money. And, and that, it's really not that. It's, it's stewardship of my heart. Am I going to be a steward of the things that God has given to me? We began looking last week and Jesus specifically instructing the disciples in Matthew 6 about what it means to have a generous heart and, and, and how do I develop that? How do I get a heart that is generous? And, and how in this day and time when we are bombarded with uh, advertisements and, and, and I, mean, I, was, I was telling Laurie, you know, I, I, one of the, I guess the curses of having a smartphone besides the fact that it's smarter than I am, but one of the curses is the fact that that I get emails on my phone all the time. And, and I bet probably between Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, uh, probably through the course of this weekend, I would go through and delete 50 emails at a time, just trash, just delete them. And, and because they were from, you know, Pennies and Bells and Target and Walmart and, and Kmart and places I haven't ever even shopped. I mean, I, I don't, you know, online stores... Cabello's now, I shop at Cabello's, but, but most of those places weren't places that I'd even, you know, I just, just delete, but I'm bombarded with the pursuit of stuff. And, and you know, in, in this day and time, how we develop that spirit, not of taking, but of understanding everything that God that we have. It's, it's what God has given. It's what he's, he's, he's allowed us, that, that I am a manager of those things. And so this morning, we're going to kind of build off of that, uh, that, that idea that I am to be generous in, in what I do. And it, it's okay. Please hear me say this. It's okay to have nice things as long as the pursuit of those things doesn't become my little G-God. It's okay uh, to be blessed with, with the ability. I mean, it, it's neat to see some of our, our, our college kids back today and, and, and having some of those guys back. And, man, I, I can remember watching them as athletes. And they always, I mean, some of these guys, you know, they, they had talent that was beyond anything that I, I could ever hope or, or imagine or dream. And, and I hear people sing, and I'm thinking, wow, man, I, you know, I look forward to the day when I'm in heaven, and I get a voice like that, you know, that I can, I can sing, and I'm going to be able to run. I mean, I'm, I, you know, my, my body body in heaven is going to be about 6'1", uh, about 2% body fat, and I'm going to be able to run a 4'2", okay? I mean, I, I just, I've already, I'm, I'm working out that deal with Jesus, okay? That's just, we're just, but, but, but it's okay to celebrate and have those abilities and those things, and, and it's okay to have nice things, but 
the pursuit of those things can't be my little G God. It can't be the thing that I worship. I have to worship God, and I have to have that spirit that, that says God is God. And so this morning, we're going to look at the story of two men, Elisha and Gehazi. And, and Gehazi was, was Elisha's servant, and he has a position in life that God has given him. And, and understand this, we are given positions in life, okay? Uh, scripturally, Jesus taught. Some are given ten talents, and some are given five talents, and some are given one. And my job is to be faithful with what I've been given. If I'm a one-talent kind of guy, then I'm to be the best one-talent kind of guy I can be for God's glory. And if I'm the best one-talent kind of guy I can be, what God does is He says, I'll give you two. And to be the best two-talent guy, if I'm a five-talent guy, I'm supposed to be the best five-talent guy I can be. And when I'm faithful to do that, God says, I'll give you five more. And then I'm a ten-talent guy. And so my responsibility is to be a manager steward of everything. Not just my money. My time, my talents, my energies, my focus. And, and this morning we're going to look at, at a guy specifically, at Gehazi, who, who he didn't get that right. He, he was greedy. And so being generous is how we guard against becoming greedy. If you have your Bibles open there, uh, to the book of Second Kings, the fifth chapter. If you would stand with me this morning, pardon me, as we honor the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, I stand before him. I will not accept it. Naaman urged him to accept it, but he refused. Naaman responded, If not, please let two mule loads of dirt be given to your servant, for your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering or sacrifice to any other god but Yahweh. However, in a particular matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master, the king of Aram, goes into the temple of Rimon to worship, and I, as his right-hand man, bow in the temple of Rimon, when I bow in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. So he said to him, go in peace. After Naaman had traveled a short distance from Elisha, Gehazi, the attendant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, my master has let this Aramean Naaman off lightly, but not accepting from him what he brought. As the Lord lives. I will run after him and get something from him. You can be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. Would you please join me as we pray? Father, I ask you this morning, God, in the next few moments, Lord, will you seal our hearts? I don't know if it's just me, but it just seems like more and more we're just rushing into stuff. Whether it be the celebration of Thanksgiving or God rushing to worship. God, the honest truth is we do need you. Lord, sometimes I just don't think we understand how much we need you. God, I need you right now. You are God. And there is no other. I need you in these next few moments to use me. God, I pray that I be humble. I pray that you speak. I pray, God, that you challenge. Father, I pray most of all today that you do the one thing that we can't do. And that is that you save somebody. 
We ask you, Father, to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. May we be able to say with John, he must increase. I must decrease. Pray, Father, that you hold us, that you teach us, and that you glorify the name of your one and only, only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name this morning that we pray. Amen. There's a couple of things that this passage teaches us, and the first thing that, that I want us to see is that if I'm going to develop a generous heart, if I'm not going to be a taker, if I'm going to be a giver, one of the things that I have to learn to do is I have to learn to give with the right heart. In verse 16, uh, we see that heart in Elisha, the man of God. It says, but Elisha, as the Lord lives, Elisha said, as the Lord lives, I stand before him. I will not accept it. Naaman urged him to accept it, but he refused. And just a little bit of history about what's going on. Naaman is the commander of the army of the king of Aram and he is an antagonist to the nation of Israel Aram is not a friend uh, they are constantly at war at least antagonistic towards one another uh, but, but Naaman has a disease in this day and time that was known simply as leprosy, it's a disease of the skin it's basically a cancer, it eats away and Naaman has this disease and he can't serve and so his king, the king of Aram, decides to send Naaman to Elisha because he knows that the power of God is on Elisha because God has used Elisha time and time again to thwart the king of Aram and his ability. And so he, he begs basically of a friend that he has no right to beg, will you let my servant Naaman see Elisha so that he can be healed? And long story, uh, he takes gold and silver and clothes and all this finery to pay for this and, and uh, Naaman is told go dunk yourself seven times in the Jordan River he at first uh, is, is uh, mad about that he says the Niles are better rivers in Aram than, than in, in Israel but he's obedient he does it and his faith heals him and it doesn't just heal his skin he actually becomes a believer because what he says is no longer am I going to sacrifice to any God but the God, Yahweh. He is, he is it. That's who I'm going to sacrifice to. Now, occasionally I might have to bow down just because I'm the right-hand guy, but when I bow, I'm doing it tongue-in-cheek. I'm not serious about this anymore. I know who God is. And so he's really a believer in the God of the Bible. And, and Elijah says, good, go. Everything's good. And he says, I want to pay you. And he says, no. And there's a few reasons why. Elisha has given. He's given of his power and his ability. He has prayed to God. God heals because it's in accordance with the will of God in this situation. And Elisha is, is giving of who God is in his life. And he says three reasons why I'm not going to accept your gift. First of all, I stand before the Lord. And, and what Elisha realizes is that he's a steward. Everything that he's been given... His ability, his power, uh, the, the things that God has done through him, it's not because he's Elisha, it's because God is God. And so what he says is, I stand before God. I'm not going to accept it because I stand before God. I recognize, first and foremost, I'm not giving to you because I want. I'm giving because of what God's already done in my life. I stand before the Lord. Secondly, he doesn't receive a gift because he knows if he takes a gift from Naaman that what he's doing is stealing, robbing God's glory. 
And God says, I will not share my glory with another. Third, he doesn't receive the gift from Naaman because Naaman's really a genuine believer. He really has genuine faith. But if he takes the gift from Naaman, Naaman might begin to believe that somehow he's paid off God. That, that he bought him off. That his gifts are why God honored the prayer. And so uh, uh, Elisha, he gives with the right heart. And Naaman's genuine. Naaman's trying. He's just trying to express gratitude. But, but Elisha doesn't want anything back. He knows I stand before the Lord. In our life, we have got to begin to realize in everything, I stand before the Lord. My ability, my heart, my attitude, my thoughts, my, every, every process there is about me, I stand before God. I have to justify who God is in my life. That's my call. That's my responsibility. God has entrusted to my care, and so I first and foremost have to realize that, that, I, come for, that, that, that I come before Him. And to stand before the Lord means that I have to be willing to allow God to work through me as He sees fit, not what seems best to me. God doesn't do a lot of things the way I would do them. I'm just telling you, okay? If God did things the way that, that I would do them, Florida State would have lost. Alabama would have lost, okay? And TCU and Baylor would be in the national championship, okay? If, if Texas would be represented. If God did think the way, that, that's just one thing. Yesterday it would have taken care of itself. I'm just telling you right now, okay? Texas would be represented in the national championship. That's just, God doesn't consult me on stuff like that, though, okay? He doesn't consult me on much. He just says, here's my word, here's what the truth says, and my, God, my goal for you is to live obediently in everything that you do. And so my job, my purpose, is to surrender all that I have, all that I am, that I give it back to Him so that God receives glory in every single thing. I don't take responsibility or credit for anything God does that I give it back to Him as He moves in and through my surrendered life. It's not what I do, it's what He's done. And, and that's exactly what Elisha, Elisha realizes I just told you, Naaman, to go do what God told me to tell you to go do, and you were obedient. God did it. It's got nothing to do with me. You and I have to learn to give generously and learn to do that, allowing God to be God as God sees fit. And God's in the purpose and the business of exalting God. God is not in the purpose and business of exalting us. We're, it's, it's about Him. And that's who we're supposed to focus on. That's what athletes are supposed to focus on. It's what smart people and band people and music people and singing people and intelligent people and wealthy people. It's about Him and everything that I do. I went to pastor at Arcadia First Baptist Church. Been doing this for 31 years. And my first full-time pastorate was at Arcadia. I was 28 years old uh, when I went to pastor there. I'd pastor a little country church part-time on weekends. and worked at the church in Cedar Hill. But this was my first full-time pastorate, and, and man, I, I, you know, I, I thought I'd, I'd grab the world by its tail, man. I was, I was, in, I was in high cotton, per, pastor of this little church, and, and, and when I went to the little church, I looked at all their stuff. I mean, I thought I was smart in the ways of business manager, church man, all this stuff, and I looked, and man, this church had money. They had, they, had, they, were, they had paid their bills, and they were in the black. It was a good church to go to, great first church. The problem was I forgot that they'd been without a pastor for about 10 months. And so for 10 months, they hadn't been paying the pastor his insurance, his salary, 
his housing utilities, all those things that were part of that. They had a parsonage for living. But I, I just thought it's great. So I'm there, and I, we go in June, and, and Colton's not quite a year old, and Kara's little, and we're, we're pastoring family, and we're doing, and the church is growing, and people are coming, and they only have a business conference whatever three months. June, they just had one before I got there. So June, July, August, we have our first business conference. And the first business conference, we're $6,000 in the hole. But they weren't really in the hole, they didn't think, because they just borrowed from themselves. They had money in other accounts, and they just borrowed. We pay it back when it's there. And I'm, I'm panicked, okay? I'm like, and there's a retired pastor who was in the church, and, and so I'm talking to him. He's kind of a mentor for me. And he said, well, you just need to preach on stewardship. Church doesn't know what they're doing. You need to educate them. New church, new people coming in. Educate them. Sure, no problem. So 28 years old, wet behind the ears, first full-time pastor. I get up, and I preach on stewardship. Do a stewardship series, just like I'm doing right now. And we get through the first sermon, and one of my dearest friends in church, a man named Bill Black, uh, had been, was, all the whole time I was there, one of our dearest friends. He came to me the first day, walked out the door, and he said, you've got it wrong. And I said, I've got what wrong? He said, you've got stewardship wrong. I said, how do I have stewardship wrong? He said, you said tithe to the church. I said, yeah. He said, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says just a tithe, period. I said, Bill, I'd love to talk to you about this right now, but everybody's leaving. It's not the place, not time, you know. So make an appointment, come in. He did, came in Monday morning, sat down. He said, you're wrong, okay? Show me I'm wrong. He couldn't. It was just his opinion. And he said, I tithe, but I give 2% to the church and 2% to Billy Graham and 2% to this ministry. And to you. I give 10%, but it's two. I split it out, 2%, 2%, 2%. I said, Bill, it's not scriptural. It's not. The church becomes a representative of the body of Christ. The church receives the tithe. Anything you want to give to Billy Graham, all those things over, that's offering, that's good. That's what you're supposed to do. But the tithe is supposed to come to church where you're a member. No, it's, you're wrong. Whatever. Bill and I have this love-hate relationship the first four years I'm in. This church there, we're getting ready to build a new worship center. We're in the process of building a worship center. And, and Bill's giving. I don't know how he did his percentages after that, but he's giving the, the worship center and all this stuff. And he comes in one day. He says, hey, i got to tell you something. I said, what's that? He said, you're right. I said, I'm right about what? He said, well, you remember when we first came, I told you you were wrong? I said, wrong about what? He said, giving. He said, yeah. He said, you're right. Okay, what changed your mind? Well, I got a letter from Billy Graham. Billy Graham Ministries had sent out a deal that talked about, and Billy Graham in his article had said, the tithe goes to the church. Offerings are above that. He goes, you're right. I'm glad Billy and I agree on what the Scripture says. Say all that. Fast forward, we build a worship center. The first funeral that I do in that worship center is Bill Black. Bill passes away. Godly man. He was a civil engineer, worked for the Corps of Engineers, went to work in the oil industry, made a lot of money. Really, really nice guy. And he passes away. We do a service in, in the church. And his wife, Vesta, comes to me. And Vesta says, hey, Bill, you know, he left, left a lot of money. I want to give some money to the church. We just built a brand-new worship center. Brand new. I mean, we were here two months in this thing. New organ, new piano, new sound system, new everything. Brand new, ground up, brand new. And she says, I want to give some money to the church. I said, great. She said, where should I give it? I said, wherever you want to give it. Well, what do we need? Vesta, that's, that's your call. You do it. I think we need a new organ. Vesta, we just bought a new organ. The thing's not two months old. We don't need, I want to give it to a new organ fund. <laughs> give it. Do it. So she wrote a check for a, a new organ. 
the summer, right at the end of summer, I go back to Arcadia to do a funeral for a lady who was a charter member in that church. And they're having that service at 10 in the morning. They're having Best of Blacks service at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, I've, of course, been there 15 years. And I, I'm, I'm in there, and I just happen to notice, they tell me Bestest Funerals that afternoon, and I just happen to look over, and the organ, the brand-new Rogers Electronic organ, the $25,000 organ that we bought to go in the, the sanctuary, is still sitting there. And I thought to myself, I bet Vesta's money is still sitting in a designated account, unused, because she gave it to what she wanted, not to what the church needed. Stewardship my way? Or stewardship God's way. My friend John Randalls is fond of saying, if every believer in the church would tithe to the church the way the Word of God says, the church will have more than enough resources to do everything that it wants to do, plus all the extra. You and I have been called to be stewards of every talent, energy, and resource that we have, first and foremost to the body of Christ. Now, the second thing, if I'm going to do that, is... I have to learn to surrender my thoughts. Verse 20. After Naaman had traveled a short distance from Elisha, Gehazi, the attendant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, my master let this Aramean Naaman off lightly by not accepting from him what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Gehazi has lied to himself. He's, he's using the phrase, as the Lord lives. He, he, Naaman's Word, the word from Elisha to Naaman is, I stand before the Lord. And because I stand before the Lord, it changes everything that I do. Gehazi uses the Lord's name like it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. As surely as the Lord lives, I'm going to do it. I've got the right heart. I'm going to do it for the right reasons. My heart's right. No, his lips were right. But his heart wasn't right. He said the right things, but his heart reflected what he really did. And the problem was his thoughts. See, he thought that the stuff of the world was going to give him greater pleasure. Naaman, going away with all the gold and all the silver and all the clothes. Gehazi, thanks, thought to himself. His thoughts. His thoughts were not sanctified before the Lord. His actions, his lips, what he said, all that stuff's there. But even though he served beside Elisha, the man of God, even though he had seen all the things that God had done, even though he had been there and watched and witnessed how God had delivered and God had worked, his mind was not submitted to what God wanted to do in his life. And he used the standards of the world as the measurement for success. You and I have got to make the conscious choice to start and to stay with our mind fixed firmly on God and what He wants, what His desire is, not what I want. It's what Jesus meant in Isaiah, when He quoted Isaiah 29, 13. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. See, the reality is, it's about my heart. And the seat, the center of everything that I am is my heart. Is my heart right? Everything else is right. If my heart's right, my service is right. If my heart's right, my attitude is right. Everything flows from the heart. And then the third thing that this passage teaches us, if I'm going to develop this attitude of generosity, the third thing is, is that I have to accept where God has placed me. Look at verse 26. Now he's run after him. He's been given some, uh, he asked 
uh, initially for 75 pounds of silver. He's given 150 pounds of silver and four changes of clothes. And this is what happens in verse 26. But Elisha questioned him, wasn't my spirit there when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to accept money and clothes, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female slaves? Now, think about it. Gehazi went and said, I want 75 pounds of silver, and there's two guys, that he made up a lie. Okay, he, he was willing to do anything he had to do. In his mind, the end justified the means. It didn't matter how he got there, as long as he got there. And that's not true. Okay, as a believer, how you get there matters. And so he made up a story, hey, two guys have come, and, and, and Elisha's changed his mind. Can we have 75 pounds of silver and four changes, two sets of clothes for each of them? And... Naaman says, no, man, I'll do more than that. I'm going to give you 150 pounds of silver, and I'll give you the clothes that you need. And so he's given him that. And, and then Elisha says to Gehazi, is it time to accept money and clothes? But then he also says oxen and sheep, male servants, female slaves, olive groves. Is it time to accept all this stuff? Well, Gehazi didn't accept all that stuff, but the problem was his heart. See, he's been given a ministry. He's been given an opportunity to stand beside the, the man of God, Elisha, and witness and be a part of and, 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 and join in the miracles that God is doing through Elijah. He's been given a station in life. He's been given five talents. But he don't want five. He wants 10 or 20 or 15. See, his heart is not right. And Elisha sees, and Elisha knows his heart, because what Gehazi's really wanting is he's wanting to leave a legacy. He wants oxen, male servants. He, he, and, and probably, honestly, he, in his mind, he's thinking, I want it because I want to leave it to my descendants. I want to leave something beyond me. And Elisha says, wrong attitude. It's not the time to accept the stuff of the world. It's time to be content and serve where God has placed you in everything that you're doing. He wanted more, and he wanted the world's ways and the world's wealth, and he was willing to do anything he could to get it. How I get there matters. And what happens is Gehazi loses his ministry. Because the greed that consumed him and consumed his heart became a cancer that began to eat away at his skin. Because notice what Elijah says to him in verse 27. Therefore, because you want stuff of the world, therefore, Name and skin disease will cling to you and your descendants forever. So Gehazi went out from his presence, diseased, white as snow. He didn't leave a legacy. What he left was a curse. Because he chose to pursue the things of the world the world's way, instead of being content with what God had given him, where God had placed him, and he chose to take instead of giving, he didn't leave a legacy. He left a curse, a curse that is on his descendants for how long? Forever. And in this day and time, leprosy meant that you were excluded from society and you were excluded from the temple. You couldn't be a part of anything. 
And, and what you and I have got to realize is how we live, the model that we live today before our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. You say, I don't have great-grandkids yet? Good. They're coming. If you live long enough, you'll have them. And the, the model that you live today is the model that will either become a blessing to them or a curse to them. The cancer that you allow to pursue you today will become a cancer on their generation as well. If you pursue stuff for your name, your legacy, it'll be a cancer in their life. We have been called to give and, and to surrender the things that we have to who God is and to what God has already done to be content where God has placed us, to be driven. Yes, be driven. Yes, desire. But be driven for the right res reasons and use the right methods. How I get there matters. I'm different than most of you. See, my life didn't begin the way most of your lives begin. I'm one of those conceived out of wedlock babies. My mom and my birth father got pregnant out of wedlock. My, fortunately, by God's grace, I was conceived in an era where abortion was illegal. And my mother chose to give birth to me. And my dad got married to my mom. But when I was three months old, my dad decided that having a three-month-old and being married wasn't the thing. So he left. And so my mom moved back home to live with her parents, my grandparents, and, and to raise me the best way she knew how. And, and when I was about a year, year and a half old, my mom and dad, the man I know as my dad, got married. And when I was seven, he adopted me and changed my name. I tell all my brothers and sisters you are brewers because nobody had a choice. They wanted me. <laughs> he adopted me, changed my name. But because of that, I was blessed with three sets of grandparents. I have my mom's parents, the Longs. I have my adopted father's parents, the Brewers. And I have my birth father's parents, the Griggs. And they stepped in when, when my dad stepped out, and, and they loved me. And, and I, I was, it was great growing up with three sets of grandparents. And, and, I, and, and, and what I got from them was a godly legacy. I mean, all three sets of my grandparents were married at least 65 years. One of them 74, one of them 70. All three of my granddads served our country in the military, and all three of them worked jobs. My granddad was, my, my mom's dad was a school teacher for 51 years. My dad, my adoptive father, was, he got out of the war, and he served as a butcher in, in Sulphur Springs at Piggly Wiggly. He said his claim to fame when he retired was the fact that he was the only butcher to retire with all his fingers. My other granddad worked for Carnation Milk Plant there in Sulphur Springs, hourly job, worked and 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 they all lived in the same houses their whole life they just add on here when they could or or, or do but they didn't move they just lived there except my the brewers had to move a little bit later because traffic got too bad on that that's where sulfur springs grew and they had to move to get where they could drive still but but they left me this godly legacy and none of them were wealthy 
Okay, school teachers don't get wealthy. Amen? Cattlemen don't get wealthy. Carnation milk plant people, butchers, they don't get wealthy. They weren't wealthy people. But they thrived where God had placed them. And they managed their resources. And when all three of them passed away, they all left sizable estates to their families. Now the problem is the generation above me didn't learn the lesson, and they're going to suck all that stuff up before it ever gets to me, okay? But one of the things about all of my grandparents is they were generous. They didn't have a lot, but man, did they give. And they gave a lot. And they shared a lot. And, and they, they served a lot. And I learned from them a legacy of being generous for the right reasons in the right way with the right heart. Who will my grandkids be? Who will my great-grandkids be? I pray that what they see in me is the attitude of a giver and not a taker. So how do I do that? Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. How? First of all, you need to make sure there's been a time in your life that you had a heart transformation. Not a time where you said a prayer and got baptized. I am proof you can say a prayer and get baptized and not mean it. But I'm also proof that if you're sincere, God will transform your heart. And what you need is a transformed heart. Because you see, when he's really Lord, all that other stuff flows in. All that other stuff balances out. The question is, has there been a time in your life where you received a new heart. Transform, change, behold, new creation. Old things have passed away. If not, then I'm going to challenge you to start there. Ask God today to give you a new heart so that you're not worshiping just with your lips, honoring Him with your lips, but that your heart is right there with Him. And if you're here today and you're a believer, then my challenge to you is this then ask God every day, refill me. Refill me. Restart me. And sometimes you got to do that more than just once in the morning. Maybe you got to do that in the morning and then again at 10. It's like the old Dr. Pepper, 10, 2, and 4. Maybe 
A lot of times. There's some days, Lord, if you don't feel me now, somebody's going to get hurt. But will you feel me? And refill me. And refill me. That I will live every moment of my life as I stand before the Lord. Because it's Him.